Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Everybody, it is time for another Blue Gold Report. I'm Mike Rags. I'm with uh, Todd Burlidge for another edition. Of course, wherever you find us, make sure you rate us, you share us, and let everybody know about us. Because the more you rate us, the more exposure we get. We talk about all things Notre Dame football. Good to be aboard today. We've got a lot to get to as we get, well, we're we're here. Spring football, and uh, it'll be the Blue Gold game. We'll talk about that, uh, what you need to know as you uh, get into the stadium this year and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh We've got some postseason women's basketball to talk about as well, what it's like to actually win the national championship. Hey, how about this? Uh, get your uh, tickets now. Alabama series is coming to town. you got to wait a little bit, but it'll be here. <laughs> it was a big deal this week because they made the announcement, so uh, let's have some fun with it a little bit and, ju- and talk about uh, what what's coming up in about 10, 15 years from now. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we always start the show. Well, let me bring him in. He is the lead writer for Blue Gold Illustrated for all things no Dame, and it's our good buddy Todd Burlidge. Todd, how are you? Doing well, Rags. How are you? Uh, not too. Did you get jazzed up about a game that's ten years away? I did. We talked about it actually. This is kind of just made to be official here, but yeah, exactly. I had a couple buddies say, "Oh my God, Alabama, Alabama!" Oh, it's in 2028 and 2029. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so and no guarantee that both teams will still be relevant at that time. Yeah, exactly, you would think that they would be, but uh, certainly probably under different leadership by then. You would think so. Uh, and, and also on the way, we broke down the offense uh, heading into uh, the spring and summer months. Uh, last week, we're going to break down what BK and what Todd Burlich thinks about the defense, uh, the line, the backfield, and all that kind of fun stuff. So lots to do. Are, are we going to do a special teams show as well, Todd? We probably will actually next week because it's starts to slow down big time next week so we'll be we'll be grasping for any straw we can find and it all might, starts with the punters and the holders we might be talking about the band by the end of this uh, <laughs> spring all right let's uh let's get things started like we always do with some blue gold nuggets and i have an extra one outstanding outstanding i i always look forward to that let's start with jay hayes he was the notre dame defensive lineman who announced his transfer last week well two weeks ago now i guess it would be I'm a little bit of a surprise since he was a 13-game starter, but he saw the writing on the wall, Junior Khalid Kareem, who was going to supplant him at that defensive end spot. So Hayes is taking his talents to Oklahoma. We were able to mention during last week's show that Hayes indeed visited Oklahoma. He made it official via tweet, via Twitter, officially an Oklahoma Sooner. Hashtag takeover, hashtag boomer sooner. Doesn't come as a huge surprise. Keep this in mind, Rag. Bob Diaco, who recruited... Hayes to Notre Dame. He's a defensive analyst at Oklahoma, so there's a tie there that I think Drew Hayes. And also Kerry Cooks is on staff there. I believe he's a secondary coach at Oklahoma. He was obviously here at Notre Dame as well under Brian Kelly. So uh, we wish him all the best. Jay Hayes to Oklahoma. Moving on to some men's basketball, Matty Farrell and Martinus Gebbin, they participated in the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament in Ohio last week. It's a three-game affair here. Basically, it's the 64 guys who have a chance. It's basically an audition to try to get to the Combine. It's like the first step if you're on the outside looking into the Combine uh, in Chicago here. That's next month. I don't have the exact date on it. But both of them played very well. Matt Farrell in his three games averaged 12 points, 5.7 assists. Uh, had a 3.4, 3 to 4, 3.4 to 1 assisted turnover ratio. 
So good stuff there as well. That was 27.3 minutes per game. He shot 41% from the field, 47% from three, which is good stuff there. That 5.7 assist per game was seventh best at the Invitational. His eight total threes tied for fourth at the Invitational. And again, I thought it was very impressive, that 3.4 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. In his final game, he had 16 points, six rebounds, seven assists. So not too shabby there. Gebbin. Also played well, 10.7 points in his three games, 6.3 rebounds, 23.7 minutes. Shot 48% from the field, very impressive stuff, and grabbed three offensive rebounds per game, which was fifth best at the Invitational. He, like Farrell, saved his best for his last game. He had 13 points, eight boards, and one assist. Again, um, they hope to get an invitation to the Combine in Chicago, and the draft will be on June 21st. I will be surprised if either of these guys go in the draft, but certainly they will get a look in some camps individually. Moving on to some football recruiting. The first 2020 recruit is signed. He's a sophomore in high school, Rags. All right. <laughs> so, and again, like last year, we'll get to the similarities here shortly. Drew Pine, he's a oh, six he's foot gonna one. He's going to be good. He's going to be great. He's a quarterback. <laughs> he's six foot one, 175 pounds, so obviously has some growing to do. It's not the first scholarship he offer he received. Actually, the first scholarship offer he received came when he was in eighth grade. He's from New Canaan, Connecticut. Um, he loved Brady Quinn growing up, and that was a kind of the draw. While he why he came here, as a matter of fact, after he committed to Notre Dame, Brady Quinn gave him a little shout out on Twitter. Said, "Good choice, way to go, my man." Um, he was here. He was at a camp last summer at a quarterbacks camp, and I guess he, he obviously raised some eyebrows. Played well, um, and keep in mind that Notre Dame. Because Cade McNamara ended up bailing out and gone to Michigan, um, they didn't have a recruit. Uh, they they have no 2019 quarterback recruits, so that was sort of interesting. And I mentioned McNamara because while Pine is the first recruit from the 2020 class, McNamara was the first recruit from the 2019 class, and he bailed out after being committed for eight months. Again, chose Michigan over Notre Dame, so maybe the two teams' paths will cross at some point. Uh, but those are your blue gold nuggets. All right, interesting. I I have one, and and one of the reasons I know about this is because being the uh, sports director on Well Well, you you brought this to my attention, but I did report on it. Uh, Coach Brian Kelly uh, is going to be honored uh, with a red coat from Matt Anthony's in Fort Wayne. Kelly and local business leader Doug McKibben were announced uh, on Monday as the latest Red Coats recipients. There's going to be a big dinner on June 23rd along with a charity golf event. Uh, both events are held at the Fort Wayne Country Club. Now, uh, Mad Anthony, uh, is they, they just basically uh, anoint winners. Past honorees are like uh, Neil Armstrong, John Wooden, Bob Knight, Gene Cady. So you get where they're going here um, because of all the money he's raised with his wife, uh, for who's a survivor of breast cancer, of course. Uh, they decided to give him one as well, um, and, and McKibben has been a long supporter of youth sports in, in Northeast sure. Indiana area. So, uh, congratulations, to Matt Anthony's a charitable organization founded in 1957, and it comprises of Northeast Indiana business leaders and professionals. Peyton Manning's also won the award. Mike Pence has won the award. So they kind of get an eclectic group of uh, uh, leaders that uh, somehow touched the Northeast Indiana area. Yeah, I, I'm from Fort Wayne originally, so I remember Matt Anthony. That's been around for a long time. That event. And yeah, it raises a lot of money and really attracts a lot of folks. Yeah, they 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 provide housing for uh, this first for family of children that uh, you know abuse situations and things of that nature, uh, and they provide housing. So that's uh, the children's hope, man. Anthony's children's hope. So uh, it's a great cause and it's a nice award, and uh, it'd be nice to see Brian Kelly out in Fort Wayne come June. Yep, I wonder what his golf. He actually is in another golf 
outing that I'll bring up next week that has a lot of high-profile college coaches, and that's coming up for Brian Kelly. I'll bring it up next week, but I wonder what his golf game is like. I'll have mm. to, I will have to ask him. He probably doesn't have a, well, maybe he has some time in the summer to get out there and bang it around a little bit. I think it's better than Charlie Weiss's. <laughs> I, will, I will say that much. Yeah. Uh, and, and the NFL schedules came out. Did you see that? I, you know, no. Uh, yeah, that's not on your radar at all. No, it is not. Well, Tyler Eifert opens in, in Indianapolis if he's actually on the field this year. They, they play the Colts in week one, so that's kind of fun. Oh, there's a kind of a n- half nugget. <laughs> it's, it's a nugget crumb, I suppose. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the big game. Huge game. It is the spring game, the uh, blue-gold game, so to speak. And uh, what do we need to know about this, Todd? I mean, obviously, this is old routine for a lot of people that are probably listening that go to this game. But uh, what do we need to know as we get ready to hit the campus? Well, I'm frantically keeping an eye on my email here. If something moves during the recording of the show, I'll let you know. I'm looking for the format, the scoring right. and whatnot. They kind of tweak right. it every year. It's kind yeah. of a it's like the Stapleford scoring system in golf. It's kind of a defenses can <laughs> score based on sacks and whatnot. So I have not seen what they have in mind there at this point but twelve thirty, the weather's going to be beautiful 58 and sunny just like today yeah good weather. here in lovely south bend thank goodness um and, and as part of the festivities this weekend the shirt the oh, anticipated yeah, the shirt. shirt will make its debut um this weekend it's gonna be very exciting stuff brian kelly will be there jalen smith fort wayne product he oh, is going right. to be there um as part of the ceremonies with this I think the highlight of the shirt, other than the unveiling of said shirt, is they're also going to have the leprechaun tryouts during the two-hour. Actually, it's, like, it's a four-hour festival for this shirt unveiling, and they're going to have leprechaun tryouts, and the crowd can even vote on who should advance, and have they have a say in who should be the next leprechaun. So very, very big doings up here. Beautiful weekend. So get out here for sure. Um, now, interesting about the weather mm-hmm. is that they start the game so early, so it still will be a little bit cold. I think afterwards it'll be uh, more of a warmer day for everybody. But it, it is—it's interesting to note considering the weather we have had here, <laughs> right. where it was just snowing a couple of days ago. So let's take what we can get. But I did want to point out—you know—still bundle up, people. It's not going to be as balmy as you might think it will be. Yeah, and like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt with some breaking news if indeed the format for this game breaks. But uh, should be a grand day rags i'm looking forward to it i'll be out there for sure well we talked about the offense and what the teams are going to what that team's going to look like uh, we'll break down the defense in just a little bit but let's talk about this uh series we talked about a couple weeks ago about it was impending but now it is uh clearly official 2028 2029 home away tell us more yeah, um, the teams have played six regular season games. That's what the press release stresses. They don't. There's no mention. Notre Dame is five and one in those six regular season games. It was sort of funny that the press release make the press release makes no mention whatsoever of the 42-14 drubbing <laughs> Alabama put on Notre Dame last time they played in the 2012-2013 uh, national championship game. Thought that was kind of funny. 28-29, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find here. The last time they played, and, well, I'm sorry, Notre Dame won a title by beating Alabama in 1973. Then Notre Dame beat another number one Alabama team in 1975. That was Eric Parsegian's last game as coach. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. One thing they did spell out in the press release, I don't know if it's worth anything, but but at least I, I thought it was, it was you know, warrants a, um, a mention at least. But now with the addition of Alabama to the schedule, Notre Dame, since the playoff began, the playoff era began in 1415, so what would that be, 14, four years? Yeah. Um, Notre Dame has at least on its schedule or already played 12 teams that were either in the playoffs or played in a New Year's, a New Year's Six Bowl games 
and six actual playoff participants. Alabama's obviously on the schedule. They played Clemson, Georgia, Florida State, Ohio State, and Michigan State. So I think what they're trying to do is celebrate their schedule. They're not afraid to go out there and play these 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 types of games, and it's a good thing as an independent. They have to be the first trip to Notre Dame, for, to Tuscaloosa for Notre Dame. A long time coming, a long time up the line, but still, it's pretty exciting. When you hear Notre Dame versus Alabama, you can't help but get a little bit excited. Yeah, they played in Birmingham uh, previous two times at Legion Field right. in, the, in the 80s. And I, check this out, Todd. Um, the Irish and Crimson Tide actually rank number two and number one all-time in national championships in the AP poll era since 1936. Number four and number two all-time in AP number one appearances. Uh, and number four and number five all-time in AP poll appearances. So, so these are pretty uh, – to for us to joke that in 10 years it won't matter, chances are with the history like this it will matter. Yeah, it will. And it's funny, as you run down that list, Rags, if you continue to look, you'll see winning percentage and you'll see total NCAA wins. And for the first time since the since Notre Dame had to uh, vacate those wins, you're, you're seeing Notre Dame as like the fifth overall in, in, in wins instead of second overall in wins. So there's some adjustments on there that I'm sure whoever put that press release together <laughs> wasn't too happy about. Well, and for those of you that – that they want to bash on the SEC. Hey, do you know what the Irish record all time is against the SEC? I do not. Twenty eight and eighteen. So mm-hmm. suck on that, SEC fans. <laughs> <laughs> not many of those are recent, by the way. Yeah, right, right. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, well, that's interesting. It should be a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I'm sure BK's excited about it. But again, will 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 they be here in ten years? That's the million dollar question. No, neither one. Uh, no, no. Saban, no Brian Kelly. Well, they'll but... both be in their seventies at that point, yeah. won't they? Yeah, that 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 I can I, that can I assure you. Will there be any rags and burlage? <laughs> well, the, the, yes, uh, whether there's a blue gold report. <laughs> uh, we'll put this one in a time capsule and we'll yeah, listen back go. in 10 years. Perfect, perfect. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, that was big news. Obviously, a lot of people buzzing about that. I did see something kind of interesting that this won't go into effect. You're fine for the spring game if you want to bring your backpack and your, your, your uh, fanny pack and whatnot. But starting on September 1st, opening football game, they're going to Notre Dame Stadium, and actually the entire campus is going to go to this clear bag policy. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to be allowed to bring in any backpacks. Uh, once again, the fanny packs, no big purses, no drawstring bags or anything like that. So, uh, you know, safety first. I get it. Probably be an inconvenience for some people, especially people that come to the gate with their ticket, sure. walked all that way from their car and didn't realize there was a clear bag policy anymore. <laughs> that could be a little bit of an issue. But, I, you know, I thought that was, uh, you know, Notre, Notre Dame trying to keep up with the times and the safety and everything that's going on. So that's something for folks to keep in mind once the football season gets here. And that will also be in effect for the hockey games and any other event that goes on at the Compton Ice Arena or in Purcell Pavilion, for that matter. So just uh, just thought I'd let you know, uh, give you a little heads count, up on that. That doesn't count this weekend, you said, right? No, it does not. Okay. No, that will not. Uh, that will go into effect on opening day, Michigan night, September 1st of the football season. So That's when that begins. The Todd Burlage fanny pack might have to go into retirement. Yeah, I know. Saying? Yeah, exactly. I, I wonder what they'll do with us media folk, because we do need our computer bags. So. Well, yeah, I think they probably still have the screening there, too, right? I would t- you would get in. We, we go through special security when we're there. I mean, right. so, yeah. We'll see. Uh, what about this kickoff thing now? This kickoff rule, obviously, we're just running through some football loose ends here before we get into the meat of some of this stuff. Um, the It was announced by the NCAA that there is going to be a new kickoff rule. Basically, rags what it does, it eliminates pooch kicks. So right. anything that's kicked inside the 25 
from the 25 to the goal line can be fair caught, and you'll move it out to the 25. So if you fair catch the, like a pooch kick at the 15-yard line, you'll get that 10 yards. You'll take that out to the 25-yard line. And again, we talked about safety for the crowd. Mm-hmm. This is safety for the players. Brian Kelly said he doesn't think it's going to have a big impact. As a matter of fact, let's just pop him in, and, and then we can address what he has to say. It's one less thing we have to work on with our kickers in terms of you know pooch kicks and things of that nature. Um, when you think about it being applied um, practically, um, it's it, it's not going to be as big of a deal as many people have have alerted that it might be, um, because certainly the the kickers today, if they can't do that, they're going to kick it back into the end zone. And with the strength of kickers today, you're making a decision whether you're fielding that or not. Once you take away the pooch kick. With, with the fair catch being, you know, the 25-yard line. I don't know that we're going to see it actually quite a bit. We'll have to work on guys in terms of making decisions from probably the goal line plus to the 5, 10-yard line. We'll have to settle on what that sweet spot is for us, you know, in terms of tactically. But I really, as they went over it, I don't know that you'll see that much fair catching left and right because guys are just going to bang that ball back into the end zone. Good point. Uh, the really bigger question is here, and it deals with the NFL too, Todd. It, will there come a day where there will be no yeah. more kickoffs? I honestly believe there will be. Yeah, I mean, with with everything going safety and the violent collisions and whatnot, Braggs, I think that day may be coming sooner than later, to be honest with you. I think that's a shame because certain teams, you know, you look at what Frank Beamer did at Virginia Tech. I mean, he made a living off great special teams play and big-time special teams play, and I suppose if you start taking stuff like that away, do you even need a special teams coach? Yeah, and that's that's what, why it's such an issue in the NFL because you're taking jobs away from players because yeah. there are guys in the league just to, on special teams. So uh, that's the one side where you think it might not ever happen because the players' union may not ever go for it unless they somehow bargain and get something else in return because of that. But uh, certain teams, are, I mean, look at Devin Hester. Look at what I, he was able to do. You know, I'm, I'm make a, the Hall of Fame. Yeah, because of that, you yeah. know, I mean, I go back to uh, you know a guy like Deion Sanders. I mean, they were game changers in the special teams, and to take that segment of, the, of football away i think would be uh, I'd, it'd be a well, shame for me but i understand what they're going after and then what are you going to do when you're down two scores with under two minutes to go and you score one what all of a sudden are you going to be allowed to do an onside kick oh, yeah, you know if you point. take the kick off away i mean and why is a kick okay not okay but a punt is because to me punts are da- more dangerous i guess be for the receiver maybe more than anybody else but you know why is it okay to punt but not to kick off it just doesn't make any sense to me it's part of the game look People get hurt in this game. That's just the way it is. And you can get hurt on a running plate up the middle, or you can get hurt on a kickoff. What are we, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, you do have guys running full speed at each other that. on that kickoff. I get that. You know, I mean, at least you have the protection of a fair catch as a punt. But at the same time, you're right. It's a violent game. It's why we. It's why we watch that's it. That's why frankly. we. That's why we sign up for it. That's right. Uh, all right. So uh, it says here in your notes, you got some uh, football position changes, and a lot of them this spring. Um, some good, some bad. What do you got for me? It, it just. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what to read into this. I suppose spring football is a time for experimentation. So I understand what Brian Kelly's trying to do. Get a look at some different guys you still have a couple positions that are a little bit fluid so you may as well run some players in there and whatnot but i don't think i can remember a spring where so many even even the top tier players have switched positions i mean keep this in mind when you talk about the three stars of the defense rags you're talking about jerry tillery defensive lineman Tavon coney the linebacker and then drew tranquil another linebacker 
All three of these guys, the top three players on the Notre Dame defense, all switch positions. I mean, some of them are a little bit more subtle than others. I'll run them down. Jerry Tillery moves from a true nose guard right smack up the middle, uh, taken on the center. Uh, he moves from that position, slides over a little bit to defensive tackle, where he can play in a three-point stance instead of instead of the down on all fours there. Um, they like that because, and we're going to talk more about Jerry Tillery up the line here, but they think it gives him a little bit more flexibility and, and a little bit more opportunity to disrupt quarterbacks and, and basically the entire offensive backfield. Coney, I mentioned, he has moved from outside linebacker to middle linebacker. He's a bigger dude. Great player. They think he can he can just do a lot more damage on the inside there. And then Drew Tranquil, who was kind of that hybrid safety linebacker rover guy last year, he has moved up up uh, into the outside linebacker position. It has created a void at this rover position that we'll address when we start making the defensive position breakdowns. Uh, but certainly Drew Tranquil loves it. Brian Kelly said in order to bring Tranquil back, he kind of had to help lure him back. I don't know. Tranquil seemed all in, but I think it helped him. Okay, your stock as an NFL player, if you move, go from this rover sure. to out, you, you can sort of feature yourself better at this position. And I think that was part of the process that draw him back, drew him back. You know, I talked about the rover. They like Asmar Bilal out there, and they'd like to keep him out there. But he right now, Bilal is, is he's cross training between rover and linebacker, backing up these guys because they're a little bit thin at that position. So what they've done, they moved a former safety, Jordan. Again, Mark Heath, they've moved him from that safety. He's now training at linebacker so that hopefully they can move him. If this works out well, they want Gen Mark Heath to play linebacker, uh, back up Coney and Tranquil, and then they can move Bilal out to that rover position. That's kind of the hope there, and that's in the works right now. That won't be settled, obviously. They just started that experiment about a week ago, so we'll have to wait and see how that shakes out starting again in fall camp. We won't have much word on that through the summer months, obviously. And finally, freshman Houston Griffith. This dude is the real deal, Rag. Six foot, 196 pound cornerback. Six foot, 196 nice. cornerback. Well, they moved him because of his size, flexibility, and really great instincts. This dude can light you up to tackling um, on the hitting front. They moved him to safety. They've been working him out at safety, so that's kind of interesting. And what that's done then is kind of moved Nick Coleman to the nickelback. So when we break all these down, we'll talk a little bit more about all the competition in a lot of these positions on defense. Very fluid right now. It's very, very fluid, the defensive side of the football. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I suppose if you have 10 returning starters to kind of mix and match, you should be okay. All right, so uh, and we'll talk more about the BK Tillery. you got a nice little audio clip here you wanted to play um, about the what's going on. Um, last year, the spring, a lot of the theme was conditioning, conditioning. Sure. And we're hearing that a lot this year. Is there another theme that seems to be the overriding thing for this spring and, and for this weekend? I think when you look at last year as well, Rex, three new coordinators, all three sure. of them, offense, sure. defense, special teams. So there was a lot of change and there was a lot of familiarity, uh, familiarizing trying to go on there. That was important. Six new coaches altogether, on-field coaches. And then obviously, as you mentioned, the overhaul, the strength staff. That dust is all kind of settled now, so I think Brian Kelly is talking about picking up where we left off last year, consistency. I want to see these guys, the big play guys, make big plays every day, right, in practice. And he kind of broke it down, what he's seen, what he wants to see, and really where this team is as it wraps up spring ball. Consistency and performance from all of our players. And then who are going to be those guys that make plays for us when the big plays are needed? So creating those situations in practice 
that that are fourth and goal or last play of the game or you know two minute drill game on the line creating those situations and find out who are those guys that are going to step up and play their best when their best is needed continue to create that situation as well as the performance play in and play out practice in and play practice out consistency of performance we're going to need that with the schedule we play we can't play up and down i'll give you i'll give you a little example you know brandon as as he plays you know he likes to kind of take a deep breath and calm down and 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 what i want him to do is amp it up a little bit because when he's amped up and he's talking and he's communicating that comforts the other 10 players because they know if brandon wimbush is out there barking and and telling guys what to do they know we're going to score so it's kind of like flipping that role a little bit and putting that on brandon to be hey i want you to be vocal i want you to say i want the ball because if the other guys hear that that you have that kind of demeanor and mindset the other 10 guys they're going to be cool customers you know and another thing that brian kelly's tried to do during spring ball is create chaos and i know it sounds kind of cliche and strange but you know he'd be it they were doing a red zone drill okay and so brian kelly went and yanked the football out of there and made the offense play with a volleyball <laughs> you know right, right, right. he's been doing some strange things and it's in response to what happened in the miami game when his team was not ready for the chaos that they faced down there that has really stuck with brian kelly that has been an ongoing theme since that bad loss a devastating loss to the Hurricanes. It's something that Brian Kelly has addressed. He's talked about it at length even throughout the spring ball. Is just out of nowhere there'll be a segment where he'll mix and match things. He made the defense play with 10 players sure. at one point. He's just doing a lot of a lot of different things to try to get his team to respond better to those tough situations. I would argue this. Not only does his team have to respond well to those situations, yes. he needs to be better in those situations because he's failed on a number of times where he gets thrown a curveball and doesn't know how to respond. Yeah, I couldn't. I, you you absolutely hit it on the head, and that has not been a strong suit of Brian Kelly's. It's why his road record is awful. It's why his his record, especially against ranked teams on the road, yep. is absolutely absolutely atrocious. Good ranked teams, you know, especially yeah, yeah. you know, uh, and when it's uh, but you know what. He's right. He makes a good point. These players need to know how to do that, but you know, he just needs to do his job a little bit better at those times. Yeah, too. and I think at least he's addressing it. He's not ignoring it. He understands Absolutely. it's a problem. You know, I, I do. I do kind of appreciate that. You know, they're also trying to figure out a way to start having better Novembers. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know if it is fatigue necessarily. Sometimes it seems like it is, but keep in mind, a lot of times their November schedule is just really damn tough, so they, that probably factors right. in as well. Right. Uh, Alright, let's talk about the, we talked about the offense last week, let's break down this defense, and since we have this little thing with BK and Tillery to talk about, and uh, a nice little clip here, we're going to start in the backfield and then move up to the front line. Let's talk about safeties first. Yeah, let's, let's safety is always first, Rags. Funny well, you'd say that, I like how you introduced that segment there. <laughs> safeties is an interesting position because really it became a position of need, even though there are a lot of quality bodies at that at this uh, within this group, keep in mind, Rags, that Notre Dame did not record a single interception from a safety last year, all of last season. It's the first time, from what I read, it was some research that Eric Hansen did. It goes all the way back to 1962 when teams started two platooning. So it's the first time at Notre Dame since teams started specializing offense and defensive players that Notre Dame was unable to pick uh, get a, to record an interception from a safety position. Right now, your era parents, the guys that started that combined for 25 starts last year, junior Jalen Elliott 
and senior Nick Coleman. They are manning the the right now. They're they're the ones at this point, but they're getting pushed by Alohi Gilman. He was the Navy transfer that they tried to get eligible last year, but were unable to, similar to how the Jessica Shepard transfer from Nebraska, the Notre Dame women's basketball team, they were able to get her eligible right away. It didn't work out for Gilman. But Brian Kelly said, had Gilman been eligible last year, he would have started every game. He would have been a starting safety on this team. He's quite a player. He had a really good year during his one season at Navy. He actually has three years of eligibility here at Notre Dame and will probably exhaust all of those. So a player to look forward to. Um, we talked about Jordan Genmark Heath. He's kind of floating around a little bit of safety, a little bit of linebacker, but he's a heck of a player too back there. And then Houston Griffith, he's another one. He's he's playing safety now. He could be a cornerback. So some some flexibility. Another really good safety comes to town in June. True freshman Derek Allen. He'll be somebody to watch as well. Uh, but at this point, Jalen Elliott and Nick Coleman are holding down this unit. But again, a lot of moving parts, and it should be much improved. I think the position competition through spring ball and then into summer and then obviously fall camp will help keep these guys on their toes. That's uh, unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I, I love the way you're breaking this down for us because I think when you look at their defense, the the the, the back is the weakest part of their defense at, the, at this point in time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I think if they can, and it really showed last year because what, it, you know, Mike Elko wanted to be even more aggressive with what he did, but because of the deficiencies at the safety position, and it was just really more inexperienced. These guys are all quality players, but not having Gilman and, and really kind of short on numbers back there, it, it really hurt them, and they weren't allowed. So because they had to kind of protect the back end, they couldn't do as much up front. Now, Brian Kelly's so confident in what he has now, moving into moving into the summer months here, they're doing a lot more bump and run, throwing these wide receivers off track right out of the gate, and they think that will be allow, that will allow them to be more aggressive up front. We'll have to see how that plays out. You know, the cornerbacks are wonderful, man. When you talk about mm. junior Julian Love, this dude is – he may go down as perhaps the best cornerback ever to play here. Set a program record last year with 23 passes defended. That includes 20 pass breakups. That is incredible stuff right there. It, it, nothing's ever been even close. I think he almost doubled the record. I don't have it in front of me, but I know he shattered that record big time. He's a great player. He had 68 total tackles to go with that, which was fifth on the team. Three interceptions, two of which he took back for touchdowns. So Nerdy was certainly in good hands there. And opposite him... <clears throat> Another, I got so excited about Julian Love, I got a little choked <laughs> up there. Uh, Troy Pride, another junior, great player as well. So I think that Notre Dame is such, in such good hands on the corners here that they can do more with their safeties, and the trickle-down effect then, they can do more up front, put some more pressure, and do some different things. So I think where this was a little bit of a deficiency last year, the secondary, or at least, least bits and pieces of it, I think this year it's in great hands, Rags. And the linebacker core might be one amongst the best in the whole country, wouldn't you say? Uh, a little thin, a little thin, I will say that. But certainly, when you start, you know, with the, when you have a, a Drew Tranquil and a Tavon sure. Coney, you're, you're certainly in really good hands there. Uh, Coney only made seven starts last year, but still finished with 116 total tackles. That included 13 tackles for loss, so not too shabby there. That led the team. Drew Tranquil again moves from Rover to linebacker. He was third on the team in tackles last year with 85 of them, and he had another 10 and a half tackles for loss. He made a lot of big plays. Fumble recoveries, the whole works. After that, it gets a little tricky. You know, you have to back up these two guys. Obviously, it's kind of a two linebacker system with the rover. You yeah. know, it, it's yeah. a little bit. It's 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 kind of hard to break down, to be honest with you. But we talked about Asmar Bilal cr- cross training between 
some rover and some linebacker. Jonathan Jones, he's kind of the wild card of this group. Yeah, they're saying he's making some strides. Right? Yeah, he's going to play a lot. Didn't play a whole heck of a lot last year. I think it was five games. He had ten total tackles. No, he played. I think he played in every game. Uh, just spot minutes, but 10 total tackles. Did have a fumble recovery. They need him to be able to spell Coney and Tranquil when those guys get a rest. Then they can't have a drop-off there. I think he's a little bit of the wild card in this group because he does have some experience. And then when you go beyond that, you're talking about Bo Bauer and and Jack Lamb, a couple true freshmen who are doing a nice job early in rollies. They're, they're turning some heads and getting some praise from Brian Kelly. But linebacker is a tough position because it's a cerebral position, yet it's a physical position. It's a hard position for guys just to jump in and play well as freshmen. Jalen Smith would be one exception to that rule, but these guys are moving along, but again, it's a little bit thin, but certainly your frontline players when Coney and Trank will put you in great shape. And they're both seniors, obviously, too, so tons of experience. And the reason, I'm glad you brought up Jalen Smith, I brought up the scheduling uh, NFL schedule for a reason. Uh, the Cowboys play the Colts this year in Indianapolis, so he gets to come back home nice. and play against his old uh, buddies and everybody. So the Bishop Lores graduate. Uh, let me. I'm just checking. It is uh, December 16th, so it'll be uh, Jalen Smith back in town with the Cowboys against the Colts. See, I, I knew there was a reason other than Tyler Eifert that I <laughs> that I brought that up. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. Actually, that, that would be a good one to go get a credential for. Maybe get a chance to catch up with him for the show. Uh, there you go. Another reason why I brought it up. All right, so we talked about the changes on uh, defensive line. Again, looks to be strong this year. We'll get to Tillery here in a second, but tell us more. Yeah, I love the looks of this defensive line. You know, even with the transfer of Jay Hayes, it was interesting because when you talked about Jay Hayes before the transfer, Tillery, Jonathan Bonner um, up front there. And then Dalen Hayes, you had four guys that started almost every game last year, so you would have returned all four. I think that between the four of them, I think only one missed a start. So you had a lot of experience. And while you lose Hayes, a little bit of a hit, I think it becomes more of a hit on depth because we talked about Khalid Kareem. He did a great job. You know, he played in all all the games last year as well. He didn't start, but he still finished with 21 total tackles, five and a half tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. He was going to displace Hayes, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, so good hands there. Tillery, the heart of the front four. Again, they love this move, and Tillery's excited about the move as well. Um, moving, just sliding over a little bit, three technique. They think he can... Brian Kelly said, as a three technique player, Tillery has been flat out unblockable. And so uh, hopefully that holds up. I love up. that word. Yeah, no reason to think it wouldn't. Uh, certainly could have gone to the NFL. It's nice to have him back up front. Uh, so with Tillery going from nose to tackle, Jonathan Bonner moves from tackle to nose. He hasn't been doing as much this spring. He, he has a bad wrist. He's recovering from an injury there. But what that's allowed to do with Bonner out then, basically, um, limited, limited springtime here, Kirk Heinisch. This guy's doing a really nice job and getting some high marks as well. He's he's getting a lot of reps here that he probably wouldn't have got if Bonner was in there. So some valuable practice time. And Brian Kelly says he loves the physicality of this kid. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Bonner, a great a quality returner, 30 total tackles last year. And, man, I hate taking this one on. It shouldn't be that hard. I should be used to it right now. But Myron... Tagivelo Omosa, he's playing behind Tillery as well and doing a nice job. Been getting a lot of high praise from Brian Kelly during the spring as well. And those guys, both Heinish Anna and Omoso, those guys both played last year, so there's some experience there. Not a whole lot, 
but some. Um, and then Dalen Hayes, he had 30, 30 total tackles. He had a lot of production from this defensive line when you start running down well, these tackle totals. And I heard uh, I heard Coach Lee raving about Jameer Jones, too, to solidify some of the depth on that line. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, let's not forget about Julian Aquara. He yeah. had 17 total tackles as well. So, you know, I think that, that the, you, you know, they made a lot of improvements on defense last year, but yet they still really didn't get a whole heck of a lot of sacks. And I think that's where they would like this to change. And when you look at this lineup, this experienced lineup returning up front and having the experienced linebackers you mentioned, I, I think, yeah. in Coney and Tranquil, I honestly think they can get more pressure on quarterbacks, create even more turnovers than they did last year, which was a, a area of great improvement for them, and perhaps get some more sacks and some more game-changing type plays. But... Look at the way it's built right now, though. Almost impossible to run on, which is what it looks like it's going to be. Now that I think they'll still have to scheme to get sacks, though. Yeah, probably so. But certainly, you have a, a bevy of NFL caliber players up front here, Rags. So you, you know when you're talking about Tillery and Bonner and, and some of these other guys, and I think Kareem is well on his way to making a name for himself to be a potential draft pick up the line. I, it looks to me like it's in very good hands. This certainly, with all the kind of question marks. On offense, and I actually talked to my editor, Lou Samoji from Blue and Gold Illustrated, about that this week. Um, we were talking a little bit about how, while the offense, you know, there's a lot of potential, a lot of guys that could do some things. There are also a lot of guys that have just underachieved, and you sure. can almost go into every position group. You know, Dexter Williams, underachieved, been injured. You know, he's never carried the ball more than eight times in any one game. Meanwhile, Josh Adams averaged 16 carries per game last year. Alizé Mack at tight end, certainly probably one of the biggest underachievers of the Brian Kelly era. You know, Chase Claypool, even Miles Boykin to this point at the wide receiver spot. So I think when you look at some of the uncertainties on offense, Offense, and then you look at the sort of strength and really just kind of sturdiness of this of this defense. It, it makes you feel a little bit better about things. Probably the best recruiting job that went down over the off season was getting Coney and Tillery to come back because both of those guys could have absolutely bailed and went to the NFL, and you wouldn't have blamed them one bit. Uh, Tillery said he wanted to try this three technique; it helped brought him back. This guy's had an up-and-down career, for sure. I mean, he's came in as a freshman rags, played very well, 12 total tackles. I think he appeared in all the games. Then 2016, that miserable. But, you know, he ended up suspended, though, for the Rose Bowl, so he was running into some problems. Then 2016, only had 18 tackles as a sophomore, underachieved big time. That was the year of the USC incident. Right. Brian Kelly questioned his commitment. The kids made eight trips to Hawaii. <laughs> he's, a, he's a world traveler. He's a globe trotter for sure. As a matter of fact, Rags, it's interesting. He was actually in Hawaii when that bot, when that missile oh, scare yeah. came through. So I'm actually doing a story on that. But we caught up with Tillery and we caught up with Brian Kelly this week. I had a chance to talk to him both. I asked Brian Kelly first in this clip what the journey has been like for Tillery, and then we move on. It'll, it'll feed into an interview that I had with, uh, with Tillery. It's growing up. You know, I think he would tell you that his time here at Notre Dame has been extremely formative for him. He's learned a lot. He's made some mistakes. He's helped our football team. Um, he's handled himself in the classroom uh, in a positive way. Uh, he's going to have his degree, obviously, here uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, but I would say that it's been a journey for him. And, um, you know, this year I think um, he's, he's, uh, he's been forced to be a leader much more than he's ever been at any time. Um, 
and I think we've put him in a great position from a football standpoint. You know, he's he's virtually unblockable at the three technique for us. Um, he's a very difficult player to play. So I think it's been a journey, an evolution, a maturity, and but that's what happens here, and that's what we hope that happens. And I think he's a great example of that. How different are you from when you walked in the door here for the first time to now, you know, getting ready to finish up your last season here? How do you change? Kind of walk me through your evolution, if you would. So, I mean, I hadn't, you know, all I'd known is, you know, Northwest Louisiana and the people there and, you know, that way of life. And uh, I think as I've, you know, come to Notre Dame, I've gotten to see the world and grow as a person and see more people and experience more things and uh, play a lot, play some really good football. So I think... Uh, so I think I've, I've just grown. I've, I've seen, you know, the, the possibilities grow so much. Obviously, long football career ahead, but you're, you're, you have a lot of interest. You're, you're a mm-hmm. unique guy. Where do you see yourself up the line? Life after football, how do you, how do you envision that? Uh, I think I think I you know I'm the type of person who can really um, who can really like adapt to different environments. So I don't know you know where I'll be after my football career, but I think wherever I land, I'll be able to, to thrive and succeed there. What was your toughest time here? What, what would you, I'm going to ask you what your best time was, but what was your toughest time? Maybe your lowest low. Uh, I think my first year, uh, I started so well and like I was I was you know I had so much success early. In and then, um, and then you know, my play kind of fell, and then, and like, I, and then I was just like confused, and I wasn't, you know, things weren't going the way I wanted, and like I was, <clears throat> I was, you know, not the man anymore, you know. So, uh, so just having to work through that, and uh, I think that's really, that's really affected me in, in terms of when I see, you know, things aren't going the way I want them, just to keep focusing on, uh, on on the little things, and things will get better. What did you have to concentrate to pull yourself through that? What What were some of the key to get you through that low time. So it was one day at a time. Like, like I, I, I wasn't able to see. I, I was always looking forward, like looking at. Oh my gosh, we're playing. Uh, what was it, Texas at home and at, at night? Uh, I was. I was. That was my only focus. It wasn't like I wasn't focusing on practice. You know, uh, this drill in practice. You know, working through this. So it was uh, connecting like the little drills, like the little things, to you know the big picture of seeing success. So when you talk about the, when you talked about the lows, about the highs. Is this is this where you feel your best? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I, feel, I, I mean, I've, I've never played this well. You know, I've, I've never been so focused on the, on the little things. And, you know, I've, I've focused, like you, like I just, you know, explained, on connecting each each drill that we do to to success on the field. Well, that's, uh, that's refreshing to hear. It seems like once, if and when he is focused on the game, he's a force to be reckoned with. It's just getting that focus on the game. Seems to have it this year, too. Um, again, Brian Kelly became a little bit frustrated with him. He didn't pull any punches, as he often doesn't, when he talks about his players sometimes publicly about how he always seems to be worried. Coney always seems to be worried. Or I'm sorry, Tillery always seems to be worried about move, you know, going on his next travel, his right. next journey, doing his, his next thing. And that's going to come up, Rags, when the NFL... When, when it's time for him to go through his interviews at the Combine and whatnot, that's going to be a question that comes out uh, to Jerry Tillery. Are you committed to football? I guarantee it. A lot of GMs ask that question. Just ask Josh Rosen because that's yeah. what he's facing all, every every GM uh, talking to him. You know, it's ironic because these kids that want to branch out and be better people, it ends up being a black mark on them. If they're not just in the gym all the time, then yep. there's, there's, there seems to be something wrong with them. Where, in my opinion, I think they should be viewed differently.
All right, before we get out of here, we got to bring up the women because they are champions after all. So uh, let's talk about the little post-championship uh, hangover, if any, and what they've got in the works as far as uh, new gals coming in, right? Yeah, um, well, I guess uh, championships have their privileges because shortly after the championship was won by the women, uh, Muffet McGraw secured a commitment from Samantha Brunel. She's the number one rated player in the entire class of 2019. Um, so that helps. She's a six foot two forward from Standardsville, Virginia. She just loved her visit to Notre Dame, liked the sense of community. She averaged 30 points, 15.6 rebounds, three and a half assists, three blocks, and 2.2 steals. Um, took her team to the state tournament in Virginia for the first time since 1988 after an undefeated regular season. She is a heck of a player. She chose Notre Dame over UConn, South Carolina, Maryland, and Duke, obviously, just to name a few. So I thought I'd start there. And now the incoming kids from the class of 2018 have all wrapped up their season. So let me just give you a quick rundown here. A good group of players here. Caitlin Gilbert, five foot ten out of Indianapolis, 18.5 points, 7 boards, 4 Point zero steal. She was a McDonald's All-American and an honorable mention all-around All-American. Point guard Jordan Nixon, five foot eight, New York City player, twenty-two point six rebounds, four assists. She was also McDonald's All-American and named Miss Basketball in New York. Danielle Cosgrove from Holbrook, New York, six foot four forward. She was runner-up for the Miss New York running. Uh, she averaged 21.1 points, 11.7 boards, 2.1 blocks, scored 1,573 career points. And Abby Prohaska, I'm going to call it. I'm going to give that a whirl. Five foot ten. She's from Liberty Township, Ohio. 15 points, 6.2 boards, 4.7 steals, a first-team All-Ohio selection. And finally, Enrique, Enrique Ogumbawale. She's playing in the FIBA three on three tournament this weekend. That's in Colorado Springs. Saw that, yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. High power team, man. Um, Nafesa Collier, she's from UConn. Asia Durr, the guard from Louisville, who is a heck of a player. And Christine Anigne. <laughs> From Cal, <laughs> they don't make this easy on no, you. Do they they certainly don't. She's from Cal. She was the freshman player of the year a couple years ago, or maybe this past season. I'm not sure which, but a high-powered four-pack of players there for Enrique. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll give you a little recap on how that goes next week. Well, winning breeds winning, especially in women's basketball. There's no doubt about that. And uh, congratulations once again to the ladies over there. All right, enjoy the game this weekend, people. It should be nice weather. Be responsible, and uh, and uh, let's hope the Irish win. <laughs> Right. We'll do this again next week. Make sure, of course, you always share us, like us, and rate us, most importantly, wherever you download podcasts. And this Blue Gold Report is brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Uh, I'm Mike Rags. That's Todd Burlich. Todd, we'll do it again next week. Sounds good, brother. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.